Welcome, friends. This is the Deeper Study Podcast. Pastor Dave, why do we call it the Deeper Study Podcast? You know, uh, every weekend we have uh, some great content that we give out through our sermons, through our classes throughout the week, uh, through our community groups and connection groups that we offer. Uh, But this is a chance for us to kind of take our weekend sermon experience and go a little bit deeper and talk a little more practically about how this affects your life. And so that's why we call it the Deeper, Deeper Study Podcast. It's the opportunity for us to take it a little bit further and hopefully re-engage Re, re-engage the message, but also reinstate the application to you. So that's the hope. And a lot of people use this in the middle of the week. They can kind of review it and go over it. And we have several uh, community groups that are using this uh, as a curic- curriculum to go through. Yeah. So it's a great tool for you as an individual or for a small group. And of course, well, what we want everybody to do is go deeper in God's word and grow deeper in life application. That's the goal of the Deeper Study Podcast. Yep. And if you're new to the podcast, Pastor Dave is a lead pastor here at Crossroads Community Church. We have campuses in Mansfield, Ohio, here in Park Avenue, downtown Mansfield, in Shelby, and we have a campus in the prison. Yeah. So let's start out with some rapid fire Christmas questions because we're starting (laughs) Uh, a new Christmas series here, Echoes of Hope. So rapid fire questions. What is your favorite Christmas? Christmas movie. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say there's two because I want to go classic and I want to go newer. Uh, I love the the movie White Christmas. It's kind of we watch it as a tradition. Bing Crosby and just a great great movie. Um, and then uh, the second one is Elf. I just love the <laughs> laughter it brings. And uh, whenever I want to be in the Christmas spirit, I turn Elf on and uh, laugh laugh my heart away. Great Christmas song. Yeah, it's a little bit unfair because I, 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 I'm not a big, big Christmas song fan, but I had I have to pick White Christmas. When that comes on, I just start singing with it. I don't know what if it's just the uh, the baritone of the voice. You're gonna give us a few bars right now. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. How about that? Is that Burl Ives? Is that who sings um, it? I, don't I think even it's Rick Berlin. But, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Great song. Yeah. Great classic song. Bing Co- Crosby actually. Yeah, Bing is, Crosby. Is yeah. That, yeah. Good. Cookie. One of my favorite topics. What's your favorite Christmas cookie? Well, actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but today is National Cookie Day. Did you know I that? did not know and that. And here we are. Uh, Every day is National Cookie Day That's for right. this guy. You know, I'm a traditional kind of guy, so I, I like chocolate chip. I'm not a big, you know, Christmas cookies, all those little designs and stuff. I don't get into that too much. So chocolate chip cookies, uh, I, I like them. Oatmeal cookies are my absolute favorite. If I had to have one, it would be oatmeal cookie. Great. How about you? Um, I like them all. I like them all this time of year. My grandmother made a German cookie with peanut butter inside, and I just can't get it anymore. I haven't been able to see it anymore. Her great-grandmother taught her. My sister does a really good try. If if she's listening, you do a great job, but it's still not the same as grandma and great-grandma, but I'm glad that she tries. I just want to take a quick guess at your favorite Christmas movie. Is the Christmas story. You'll shoot your eye out. It is a really good one. Yeah, it is a really good one. Yeah. Uh, you know, the debate is, is is the Die Hard, is that a Christmas movie or not? Because I like the shoot 'em up kind of movies. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes people count that as a Christmas movie, but but maybe not. But So let's jump in to this new series as we're leading up to Christmas, um, The Echoes of Hope. We're kind of starting out in the beginning, in, yeah. in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And when I hear the phrase that Christmas begins with a curse, 
it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I love Christmas. I love, I really do. I love that time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's just something magical about it for me. So to hear that it began with a curse kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, but it is true, isn't it? Tell us why that phrase is true. Uh, yeah, for you Christmas fans, I want to squash the Christmas spirit just a little bit because Christmas does come as a result of a curse. And that's important for us to realize. And, you know, all joking aside, we would not have Christmas, God coming in the flesh, if it weren't for the reality uh, that we sinned against God. And so the curse of the garden becomes the reason for the season of Christmas. And so really Christmas does begin with a curse. Our, our salvation begins with the reality that we are cursed and it's not we, you and I, and, and us as humanity that are cursed. It's it's a serpent. It's it's Satan. It's it's the domains that we live in that are cursed, that we feel the effect of every single day, the brokenness, the heartbreak, um, the, the struggles and the strife, we, strifes. We, we feel that, the weight of this curse every day in death and in sin. And uh, that is that is what has brought about Christmas. The, the hope and joy we feel at Christmas really begins with a story of the curse in the garden, where God hands out the consequence of sin against humanity. What do you make of the fact that God cursed the serpent directly and not the man or the woman? Yeah, in Genesis chapter 3, we see after they rebel against God, God says, I'll give you every tree of the garden, millions of trees, how many ever there were, but one tree I ask you not to eat. Many people ask, why did God put the one tree there? Um, you know, we, we, would, we would clearly think that one tree was a representation of their love and worship of God to not eat of the one tree he commanded. By the way, an act of grace of God is not only that he gives us gifts, but that he warns us about the things we shouldn't do. That was a God of grace. And, and so God says, don't eat this one tree. Um, and the serpent slides his way in, sneaks his way in and says, hey, Eve, if you eat of this, you, you'll be like God. You're no good from evil. She gave it to Adam who was with her. And so God begins to point out these consequences uh, to sin. But what's interesting is in the moment of the curse, uh, God comes and asks a question, where are you, Adam? And I says, well, oh, I, I'm, I'm hiding because I'm naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? And, and then he responds with, uh, well, well what, what just happened? And, and we see the pass down of blame. You know, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames a serpent. And God comes to the serpent and he says, cursed are you. But he doesn't curse Adam and Eve specifically. And I believe this is this is the beauty of God's character of grace and mercy is he doesn't curse us specifically. There, there's the line of thinking that would say if, if Adam was cursed, then the rest of humanity could say it was your fault. What God does is curse their domains. And so he says to the woman, in pain now, you're going to bring four children. Uh, you're going to be against your husband, but he's going to rule over you. You're, to, the, to Adam, he says, um, you're now going to bear thorns and thistles in the ground. When you go to work, it, it's going to be hard work. It's not going to come easy, and things aren't going, to, aren't going to stay fixed. They're going to break down. And that's the image that we have of the domain that God curses. He curses the serpent specifically. Um, he says, on the belly you shall go for the rest of your days. Um, but at Adam and Eve, he doesn't curse specifically. And I think it's a, a picture of no one can say to Adam, it's all your fault. Um, we really can't because God doesn't curse Adam. He curses the ground and uh, the domain uh, of Adam and Eve. As we're looking at this curse, God gives the promise of the curse breaker even before he gives these consequences. Um, what does that tell us about God's character? Yeah, this is an absolutely mind-blowing moment is that in Genesis chapter 3, after speaking to the serpent, uh, 
he draws a line in the sand before he ever brings the curse on the domain of Adam and Adam and Eve. And he brings this promise and he says that there will be enmity between your seed serpent and her seed, the woman's seed. Uh, and then it says, and he will crush your head, but you will crush his heel. And this is what is called the Proto-Evangelium. It is the first gospel, as a disciple of John called it. It's the first gospel proclamation where God draws a line in the sand and says, I'm going to do battle. I'm beginning to wage war against you, uh, Satan. Right from the very beginning, God initiates war. He doesn't give uh, a little bit of grace to Adam and Eve and say, now go figure it out, save yourselves. You've got yourself into this. Um, I don't know if you ever said that to your kids. I have. You got yourself into this. Figure it out. Um, God doesn't do that with us. Uh, God says, all right, I'm going to declare war on your behalf against the enemy. And then he gives a promise that there will be a day where the offspring of a woman will crush the serpent's head. Yes, he will bruise his heel, but there will be a day where he will give a final fatal blow to the serpent and the serpent will be destroyed. And we know that is the promise of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And why don't you think that God just destroyed Satan in the garden? He could have done that. He could have done that. Yeah. And what a great, uh, you know, I, I, what a great question. What a great thought. When, if you've ever thought that, we've all felt that before. Why doesn't God? Why didn't God just end it there in the garden and and complete the work? Why? Why thousands of years later did He come and die on a cross and rise again? Why now does He wait to return? And, and here's the key. This is the answer. It's a simple answer, but it's so true that God realized, God knew full well that in order to get rid of sin, in order to get rid of death, which is the consequence of sin, he has to undo mankind. If you're going to get rid of sin, you have to get rid of everything that is contaminated by sin. And that means you and I. And so I believe God in his good grace, in his long suffering, in his patience, doesn't return, doesn't destroy, because God is long-suffering, waiting and willing for more to come to know him. And so really, it's an act of grace that God doesn't come back now. Otherwise, all of us would be destroyed. And God, in his patience, is drawing more to himself. And I love that picture uh, because the only way he could undo sin is to undo us. And God doesn't undo us because he loves us. And Christmas came in the most unexpected way. What was a perspective of Christmas from heaven? Because certainly if, if there was Doug Taylor coming down, it probably would have lot, looked a lot different. Yeah, you know, we, we go to, we turn to Philippians chapter two. So Genesis three is the curse. And now Philippians two gives us what would be called the theological story of Christmas. If, if Luke chapter two is the historical story, uh, Philippians chapter two is a perspective of heaven. And it says this, it says that, that God, Jesus Christ, although he was in the form of God, he was equal to God, didn't consider it something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And this is known as the kenosis, he, he, he emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. It says that he took the form of a bondservant and came born in the likeness of men. God humbled himself. Now, the question we have to ask is, what did God empty himself of, that word empty? Uh, some believe it's his nature, that he no longer was God, but we know that's not true because he claimed to be God on earth. They, they actually put him on a cross because they believed he was claiming to be God. They called him a blasphemer. Uh, some believe he emptied himself of his, of his power, but we know that's not true because um, on earth he did many miracles. Um, he healed the lame and, and, and raised the dead to life. Those are pretty miraculous things. Fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. He, he didn't empty himself totally of power. Certainly didn't use all of his power. 
But what we know is he emptied himself of his glory. He took his glory and he veiled it behind human flesh, skin and bones. God put skin and bones on. God became incognito. God became born to peasants, a a humble teenager virgin, uh, an earthly father who uh, was a carpenter. He was born in obscurity, in a stable. Uh, and Rome didn't know he was coming. Israel didn't know he was coming. His, he cried like any baby. Uh, the shepherds came. They were the first to attest to his birth, and they weren't even looked at as high-class citizens. Uh, he was born in a feeding trough. I mean, this is the image of him humbling himself. As, as 2 Corinthians 8 says, he became poor. That's the image. He became poor. The sovereign of the universe becomes utterly dependent. The helper of all people becomes helpless and uh, he comes on our behalf. And that's the picture of this, um, that he came in the most unexpected way from heaven's perspective. He came not as we would expect. Why? Because he came to pay the, the penalty of our sin and to purchase a place for us in heaven. How should our hope, knowing that the end of the curse is coming. We know that from the, that chapter in Genesis. We know who wins this battle, right? This line in the sand. How does us knowing how the curse ends, how does that propel us to live differently? Yeah, you know, here's what's interesting about hope. You either live in frustration or you live in hope. There's really not an in-between. You're, you're in frustration or you live with hope that there's something better yet to come. And, and what Paul says in Philippians 2, based upon the truth, of the humility of Jesus Christ, he says this. And by the way, that verse goes on and says he will be exalted. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It starts with in verse five with, have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. See, Christmas really is a mindset. It's a mindset that says, wait a minute, God humbled himself. What do I need to empty myself of? What do I need to humble myself of? He goes on and says, as a result, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. Uh, we are called to work out. This is called sanctification. We're working out our salvation. We're, we're moving forward in the journey. By the way, that word literally has the idea of, of working until it's complete, finishing the work, going after it on the journey. And then he says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If you are humble, you're you're not going to grumble. And I know that sounds funny, but uh, grumbling is an indication as to whether we're humble or not. If you're grumbling all the time about life, then you're probably not living in humility. True humility is a proper attitude towards self that results in proper attitudes toward others and towards situations in life. I love what Erwin Lutzer said. He said, complaining about our lot in life might seem quite innocent itself, but God takes it personally. So if you want to know whether you're really understanding the purpose of Christmas, are you grumbling about things in life? If not, have this mind, which is in Christ Jesus. Think the way he thought. As we close, tell us some things that are going on or what you're excited about Christmas at Crossroads. Yeah, we have six services available um, at the Park Avenue campus. We have two more that are that are planned for our Shelby campus. Uh, those are on the 23rd at 8 and 10 a.m. at our Shelby campus. And uh, we're real excited about that. It, it's a little bit different of a program, but it's going to be a fantastic time. Our campus pastor and the worship team there has put together a great program. Uh, Friday evening, December 7th, our city center uh, downtown in Mansfield, Crossroads City Center, is sponsoring our Christmas tree lighting. Uh, it goes from 5 to 8 
p.m. There's live reindeer. There's music. Uh, there's uh, there's a carousel. It's going to be a fantastic time. Tons of shops that'll be open around the area. Uh, the tree lighting happens at 6 p.m. sharp. And so if you come down around five, hang out, take a look at the reindeer, uh, get some snacks, ride the carousel, and then watch the tree lighting. It's going to be a great time, and we have the privilege of of sponsoring that. At Park Avenue, we have six services available. Uh, they begin on Friday evening at 7 p.m. That's on the 21st, on the 22nd at 7 p.m., and then on the 23rd and 24th at 5 and 7 p.m. And uh, we've got a great program of dynamic music, uh, great video, uh, I think a powerful message, some great stories that are going to be shared. And we've got some funny things in there as well, some fun things that we've added in. It should be a great time. And so we hope you'll invite some friends if you're in the Mansfield area, if you're in the North Central Ohio region, that you'll come and join us for this time as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, and is highly exalted, name above every name.